looking at the first 18 verses. This is the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul writing here. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do you not have the right to eat and drink? Do you not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord, the Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Do not, does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It, is, it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not? Uh, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather put, than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no... But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if, I, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and that speaks to every area of our lives and uh, often areas we don't even think uh, that uh, we need your wisdom on. And uh, so we pray that you would send your spirit among us, uh, open these words to us, they would be life and good news and um, uh, guide us as a church that we might uh, bring you glory in our life together. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, interesting topic this morning. We're talking about paying pastors. I can't say this is the most exciting topic for me to talk about. I'm, uh, uh, but, you know, one of the things that we do as a church is we just go right through the books of the Bible and whatever the next passage is about, that's what we're talking about, and here we're in a passage that uh, at least 13 of the 18 verses are about paying pastors, and so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about, but I'll tell you one thing that happens when you go right through books of the Bible, and you take whatever passage is next, the Bible is always interesting, and if you, we think about it, uh, the question of money and pastors, money and the church, is at least interesting question. 
And, uh, you know, for a number of reasons, it's an important question. Because on the one hand, you know, for many people, uh, they probably wouldn't come to a church because the pastors that they see on television, maybe the only pastors that they've ever heard speak before, are constantly manipulating uh, poor, uneducated, often elderly people to give their money. And so the way they see the relationship between pastors and money is a tremendous injustice. The pastors use their power, use the Bible to extract money as you know, manipulation from poor, unsuspecting people who think that this is what God wants for their life. So some people say, I want nothing to do with that. But on the other hand, uh, you know, our denomination right now, we're a Presbyterian church, um, is currently having to raise $5 million to support the widows of men who've been in the ministry their whole life, decades in the ministry, and they were basically impoverished, and they had no money at the end of their ministry, and these wives have nothing, and just to pay for their expenses, you know, just their utilities and their rent, it's for the next 20 years, it's going to cost our denomination $5 million, and we're actually a pretty small denomination. And so, uh, on the one hand, the issue with money and pastors is pastors doing this injustice against the people, they're also going to be, you know, an injustice of the people against pastors as well. Now, we're in a church that has been, our, our leadership has, you know, taken care of us as pastors. Are very, you, you as a congregation have been very generous with us. That's not the purpose of this sermon. But it is to say that there are two possible ditches. And both of these ditches have a big effect on the health of the church, whether it's indulgent pastors or impoverished pastors. And um, the Bible is so practical, and it takes a topic like this, and it's something, that know, you know, the Bible knows that Pastor Nate certainly doesn't want to give a sermon on this, but uh, it's something that, that, that it's vital to the health of the church that we need to talk about it. And so uh, that's this morning. Um, we're going to talk about paying pastors, which I think also extends not just to the pastors, but just our staff in general. You know, we have a church staff of men and women, and uh, caring for the men and women who... Uh, who uh, work here at the church. And so as we look at this passage together, three observations I want to make from, uh, from Paul's letter here. And this is what they are. First of all, those who work in the church are earning a living. You might not think of that when you think of people in ministry that they're earning a living like anyone else who has a job and they're earning a living. That's one of the things he says here. Second, those who work in the church are paid by those whose lives are changed by the gospel. That's how God pays his servants, is through changing the hearts of people through the gospel. It's interesting. And then the third thing is that those who work in the church must first have their hope in the gospel. So that's about the motivations of those in ministry, that our motivation should not be for money. Our motivation should be for God's glory and the work of his kingdom and that the gospel is preached. So, so three, three things we're talking about this morning. So the first is this, this that those who work in the church are earning a living. And you can see that here, if you go down to verse 13 again, this is what Paul says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That might be a new thought to you that someone would get their living by the gospel. Paul, Paul used the example in the Old Testament, the priests who served in the Old Testament. You know, in uh, ancient Israel, the Israelites would bring a tithe of their, you know, their food and the animals that were, they were used in the sacri sacrifices to the Lord. And a portion of these animals were given to the priests as their food. 
And they were, you know, allotted certain cities where they lived in. And so the people as a whole provided for the living of the priests who were working the temple. And so Paul says actually in the same way in uh, Matthew chapter 10 when uh, Jesus sends out his disciples to do his work, to proclaim the gospel, he says that a worker is worth his wages. And so when you go out and proclaim the gospel, those people are going to hear the gospel and they're going to provide for you for housing and your food so that, so that you're cared for. And, uh, and he says, I will take care of you. And so this might sound unspiritual to some of you, that someone makes their living by the gospel, spiritual things to make an earthly living. And you uh, might think if someone is a missionary or pastor or a church staff person that they shouldn't care about money. I'll tell you, largely they don't. You know, when I went to seminary, there were a, a lot of uh, fellow students who had left well-paying jobs. They said, you know, I felt called to the ministry. They spent a ton of money going through seminary, and uh, oftentimes people went into debt going to seminary, and because I want to serve the Lord, and then they, they were not getting paid what they were getting before, and so they were not in it for the money, um, because I think there is some truth in that preachers should not care about money. Paul says, we are not peddlers of God's word. We're not selling salvation to people. That's not uh, what, what should be happening in the church, and that should be a guard for us, but he, but he also says... Paul says that as a minister, as a pastor, he has a right to be paid. This is what he says, verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So this might be a new thought for you, that those who work in the church are earning a living in the church. That's the way God has set it up. But this matter, you know, when Paul talks about his rights, of right to get paid, uh, I, I want to make something clear. By saying that a minister has a right to be paid accordingly for their work, it is not to say that a pastor is a special case. You know, they're different than other people. And this is an important thing to say, because first of all, pastors can think of themselves as a special case. You know, we're doing the Lord's work, kingdom work. You know, what we do is spiritual, and what you're doing is earthly, and so we're kind of set on another level from you. And actually, in the re during the Reformation, the Reformers insisted on saying whatever job you have is a holy vocation and that all jobs are actually equally holy because that's God's calling to you and that's how you glorify God that's how you love your neighbor is through your work and so actually pastors aren't a special case it's just pastors have a job and that's what their job is and whatever job you have you know if you're a, you know a chef or you know you're a nurse or you're a teacher or whatever it is that you do you are glorifying God and you have a holy vocation and ministers have a job, which is a holy vocation. They're not a special case. But also it's important for, pa you know, it's not only that pastors can see themselves as a special case, but churches can see pastors as a special case. Put them in a different category than a normal person who has a job. So, for example, I read a, uh, um, an article about a pastor who took a survey of his 12 deacons, and he just asked them, will you write out what the, you would your minimum expectations for me in a given week, how many hours you, I should spend on whatever task you think I should be doing. We just write that out for me. And so he took just his deacons, the 12 deacons, what was their minimum requirement? This is the baseline. And he totaled up the hours, 115 hours a week. 115 hours a week is, is what just the deacons were expecting. That's not the whole congregation had other expectations of what you know they were putting. And so all of a sudden, there was... Um, a congregation could put on a pastor unreal, unrealistic expectations. And, you know, I, I listened to a, um, a, 
another talk by a, a Christian psychologist uh, several years ago. It was a talk he was giving to pastors, and he was just warning them. He says, you know, uh, you want to just be some guy. You know, you're like, hey, I like the Bible. I want a piece of the Bible. I'm just some guy who likes the Bible. And, and, but you're actually representing God to people. So oftentimes people's expectations and emotions that they attach to you are the kinds of emotions they have about God, which are generally either adoration or hatred. Those are, and there's no, you're just some guy. And in some true, in some ways, that, you know, that's true. You know, it's it's a it's a uh, a great privilege to uh, be a pastor. You know, I get to be in many of your lives at important moments. And I think though it's a healthy thing for both pastors and for the church to remember that pastors are human. And I'm just some guy. Dan's just some guy. Our other church staff, just some guy. As much as we can, uh, we can remember that. And so, how does that affect how we think about the work that happens in the church? Well, a few things. I think then that pastors should be treated like anyone else. You know, um, the analogies that he uses here of what pastoral work is like is he says it's like a farmer or a shepherd or a soldier. He throws in an oxen in there. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but all these, you know, you, you take a, you know, a farmer or a shepherd, their livelihood is tied to the work they're doing. And they get, they get their livelihood from the, the work that they're putting in. And he says that that's the same with a pastor. You know, it's interesting. When Paul is telling the Corinthians that he's an apostle and why he has authority as apostle, one of the things he says, look at verses 1 and 2. This is what he says to them. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he says, one of the reasons why I'm an apostle is because I've seen the Lord Jesus. Wow, that's, that's amazing. But then he says, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so Paul understood that his apostleship was not simply that he had seen the risen Jesus, but he had been fruitful in his ministry. He had done his work, and he had done it well. And there was fruit that was coming from it. And he expected that to be a minister, he should do his work well, just like all of you. You know, you have jobs, you have bosses, you have people you work for. They're making demands on you, and you have to learn your skill and do your skill well. That should be the same. That should be the same for a pastor, that we should be expected to have fruitful ministries. And so even in our church, our staff, they have annual reviews. We're expected to set goals for our ministry and to meet those goals. And now I know that raises questions about, you know, what happens, at, what about a ministry that's not as fruitful? Is, are you saying we don't pay those pastors? Well, we're going to come back to that in point two. But I think what this also tells us, when we view a pastor as a, he's some guy with a job, that's what a pastor is, and he's also expected to work hard. You know, the example of an oxen here is what <laughs> being a pastor is like. Uh, he says in verse 8, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So he takes this strange law from Deuteronomy 25 about oxen. He says, This is about pastors. You know, we're doing the work, and you got to make sure you feed them. And, uh, and that uh, ministry is a, you know, grinding uh, kind of work. And, you know, I will say, I think it's important to think that pastors are human. There are some distinct things about being in ministry. I'll just share one with you. Um, for most of us, 
when we go into our uh, three areas of our life, maybe family, work, and church, they remain kind of distinct. So, you know, if you're having a hard time at work with your coworkers, you know, you get to go to your home group or come to church and say, you know, I have this whole other family that's there to kind of support me and be with me. Or, and, and they're kind of distinct, you know. And so you just imagine that all three of those, your family, your workplace, and your church, were all mushed together into one. They were never distinct, right? And so that, that's one of the things that creates a sense of constant working in, in, uh, in the ministry. And so um, that's one of the reasons why he says that for a pastor, a pastor is like an oxen. But also the tying together of all these areas of life also has a tendency that pastors can either work too much or they can work too little. Because there's very, you know, it's very blurry where the boundaries are for, uh, for work and church and family life. And so it is a challenge for a church to both expect hard work from their pastors, but also to recognize the complexity of being a pastor and that those in ministry are human, okay? So the first, first lesson is that those who work in the church are earning a living. Might be a new thought for some of you, maybe not. Second one is those who work in the church are paid by those whose lives have been changed by the gospel. Those who work in the church are paid by those whose lives have been changed by the gospel. And I want to go back to this verse 11. Verse 11, he says, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And I love this verse because the whole principle that he's putting forth here of the life of the church together is that there's these people that are working in the ministry and they're pouring their lives out for a congregation. They say, I'm, you know, I pray for you. I want to know all of you. I want to know your stories, and I want to be involved and, and care for you, that you grow spiritually, and you know that God loves you. And so as the staff is pouring out their life for you, there's also this response for the congregation then to say, you know, as I give my life for you, then you give your life back for the staff. And you say, my life for you, you know, you provide for my spiritual life, and I provide for your physical life. And so there's this response in both directions that's holding the church together of my life for yours. My life, I give my life for yours. There's a mutual dependence going on. And so when Paul says in verse 7, this is one of his illustrations there, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Interesting thought. You know, who does pay a soldier? king pays the soldier, right? The king has enlisted the soldier, pays the soldier. And so that means that Jesus pays his servants. He provides for them what they need. And the way that Jesus does that is so brilliant, is that Jesus sends out the gospel, and all of a sudden when people hear the gospel, it actually changes their hearts in, in terms of uh, it gives them a generous spirit. And the, their, because their hearts are changed, then it, these people with heart, changed hearts actually provide for the servants that he had sent out. So that's how he cares for his servants, is through transforming the hearts of people through the gospel. And so he says to his disciples, Jesus says to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. The Father knows uh, 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 you need all these things. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. I'll just tell you, this is true for you as well, of course, if you're not in ministry. As you have a mentality my life is about the kingdom, is about God, God's kingdom and his righteousness in my life. Wherever workplace I'm going into, in my family, in my neighborhood, when that is your priority, you find that the king provides for his servants. 
He provides good things. And many of you have many stories you say, I see that's true. I see that Jesus is the one who gives me my food. He gives me my shelter. He gives me all that I need. And it comes from him because he's a good king. And so those who work in the church are paid by those whose lives have been changed by the gospel. When your life is changed by the gospel, one of the graces is, is it makes your, your life generous. Now, this raises a question, though. What if someone is in a ministry where it's either a very uh, poor community uh, or it's an unreached group that it might take years and years before there's ever a congregation that can you know, provide a living for uh, a pastor? And uh, you know, many missionaries are in this kind of situation. Uh, Paul himself was a missionary. And uh, what, do we, what do we say about pastors in that situation? They don't have people who, whose lives have been changed by their proclamation to actually provide for them. Or often, you know, someone's in a, in a smaller church, you know, that's, 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 uh, it's, it's hard uh, for them to be provided for. Well, for Paul, Paul had a, one option for that was that Paul had another source of income. He was a tent maker. And that often happens with pastors. They're bivocational, and they, get a, they have another job, and they have a small, a small church on the side. But, you know, Paul um, also did not have a family to support. And so he had a lot of freedom to, uh, you know, to take risks. He was traveling around the world. And you can see that he here ties the need for an income to having a family. So you can see this uh, in his ministry. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So he says, first, don't we have a right to have food and drink and our needs provided for? And don't we have a right to have a family? We, we haven't done either of these things. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? But even though Paul did not take an income from the Corinthian church, we know that he raised support for other missions that he did. If you read the uh, book of Romans, one of the main purposes of the book of Romans is he was writing to them saying, hey, I want to go to Spain. I want to plant a church. I want you guys to support me, to send me there, to give me my living so that I can, I can live there and I can, I can proclaim the gospel there. And that's something that was kind of new in the New Testament, where in the Old Testament, the priest would come to the temple and the sacrifices provided for the priest. There's this new thing, if you read like Third uh, John, is a letter, a letter in the New Testament that talks about that the, the church was sending out missionaries. And the church had to support those missionaries so that they could make a living to go and proclaim the gospel. And so it's true that both in the church where there's a pastor as a congregation, his living comes from those whose lives have been changed by the gospel. But our lives that have been changed by the gospel, we also support missionaries. And we support them as well, those who are, who are being sent out. You know, so you take, for example, a, um, there's a, a guy in our presbytery who has a ministry uh, on a white swan, the Yakima uh, reckon, uh, uh, Reservation. And, uh, you know, he's got a congregation of, I think, 170 kids, you know, everyone's under 12. And so you got a, a congregation of 100, 170 kids, they're not going to provide a living, you know, support you and your family. And so, of course, they need outside support. It's going to take years till they, those kids grow up and eventually, be, you know, have jobs and become elders and be able to support him. And so, of course, other people whose hearts have been changed by the gospel have to support his family if that ministry is going to go on. And so... Paul is very practical about this. The Bible is very practical about this. So this leads to a third thing that um, uh, we see in this passage. Not only that those who work in, in the church are, work, are, are making a living there, also that those who work in the church um, are paid by those whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel. That's how, that's how Jesus the king pays his soldiers, as Paul puts it. 
And the third thing is, those who work in the church must first have their hope in the gospel. And you know, one of the questions we have to ask in a passage like this is, why is this passage here? Why did Paul write all this? You know, it's kind of, we just pick up this passage in the middle of 1 Corinthians 9, and what is 1 Corinthians about that led Paul to write this? And if you read 1 Corinthians as a whole, this is one of the things we've mentioned over the last few weeks, 1 Corinthians is about a church that was divided. There's the rich and the poor that are separated. There's people that follow different teachers that are arguing with one another. There's people that are suing one another. And so it is a church that has all kinds of factions in it. And Paul is trying to teach them, how do you come together as a church that's unified as one body? One body that loves and serves one another. And one of the main ways that Paul instructs this congregation is by saying, I want you to look at my example. I'm going to show you what a Christ-centered life looks like and to show them what how the gospel has shaped his life this is what he says in verse 14 but i have made no use of any of these rights so he spends 14 verses talking about all these rights he has to get paid by the congregation then he says i make no use of any of these rights nor am i writing these things to secure any such provision i'm not writing this to get more money from you for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. So he's saying, just because I'm an apostle, that doesn't mean I'm somebody. That's not my ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe, if me I do, if I, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So what's happening here is, if you remember uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the weak and the strong. And one of the things that he was talking about is that the strong in the Corinthian church had all kinds of freedoms to go and be a part of, of uh, Corinthian society and they were eating in the temples. And he says the strong need to give up their rights to accommodate the weak in the congregation. And what Paul is saying is, look exactly what I've done. I have these rights to be paid through the gospel for my preaching. And yet I haven't done that. Because I want to, these are, the gospel is going to a new place. And these people have never heard the gospel. And I want them to know that the gospel is about free grace. It is a free gift from God, and I don't want them to think that they're buying this gospel with their money. So I went and I got a job so that I could preach the gospel free of charge. And it's because his hope was in the gospel. His treasure was the gospel. His treasure was not money. And so I think this brings us back to this opening question of how do we avoid the injustice in the church with money, whether that's with pastors who are indulgent, or whether that's congregations that are impoverishing pastors. Both, the church as a whole has to learn to give up our rights. Jesus became poor for our sakes, so that in him we might become rich. He, he owned all things. And, and so when we all treasure the gospel, and we all say, my life for yours, uh, we want to be giving out the gospel then we serve one another. And this is the model that brings health to the church. This is the model that the Apostle Paul gives to us as pastors. It's the, the model also that the Apostle Paul gives to the congregation in Corinth. 
that we give up our rights to say to one another, my life for yours, because Jesus has said to us, his life.